0: Hello and welcome to the Green Jumper podcast with stories and memories from the Brian Clough era. I'm Marcus Alton, the editor of the Tribute website BrianClough.com. Coming up, there's a competition to win a signed book which has made it into the Amazon Top 10, plus an exclusive discount you can use to buy a range of football books. But first, my guest today is the man who hosted Cluffy's first ever live radio phone-in. He's a former BBC sports editor for both TV and radio. It's a big welcome to Mark Shardlow. Hello, Marcus. That phone-in was back in the year 2000. Seems a long time ago now. What, what can you remember of it?
1: Well, it's hard to believe at the time, but there were very few football phone-ins. You know, now you, they're all over the place and, uh, you know, Robbie Savage is on most of them. But there was nothing then, really. And, and we just started um, a few phone-ins on Radio Nottingham uh, on a six o'clock on a Monday. And these were sort of experimental. And uh, Gary Birtles was one of the regular guests. And I think probably after about a year or so, we'd sorted to try and angle Gary to get Cluffy to come on. And and be a guest because, you know, he was made for that sort of show, wasn't he? You know, he would have been uh, the phone in king if phoners had been around 20, 30 years earlier. He would have been fantastic. And um, Gary was trying and trying and trying. And then one day he came with the news that, yeah, yeah, Mr. Clough would be happy to come along and do the phone-in, his first phone-in. He went on to do some more at the commercial station down the road, but this was his first. So there was great excitement at the time uh, and a real buzz around the newsroom that, you know, wherever Brian Clough went yeah, in Nottingham or anywhere at that time, there was always a buzz, even though he finished, you know, like he, he had the aura about him. And, um, yeah, it was a great, great uh, day. How apprehensive were you a- ahead of it? Well, very apprehensive because, you know, I'd grown up watching Brian Clough from a kid back in the 70s when he started to work on TV. And the one thing you knew about him, that he was completely unpredictable. He was volatile. uh, He was um, he was very contrarian. And you really did not know what you would get. You could get gold or you could get nothing. And you did not know how quiet he'd behave. He could be quiet. He could take over the whole show. Uh, and I think as a presenter, you knew you had to be on your metal and you knew you had to have lots of scenarios. I think when you're presenting a programme, you're trying to come up with, before the programme starts, what happens if, what do I do if A happens? What do I do if B happens? So there's lots and lots of going over, like what happens if, um, but of course, when it happened, you know, we didn't need any plan B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, or J. It was all plan A and it was
0: all Brian Clough. He really was on top form, wasn't he, that day? He was, because, you
1: know, it was probably, you know, he wasn't at the wellest at the time. He was, you know, he he had his struggles uh, at that time, but he enjoyed being in the public eye. He enjoyed talking to his fans, his people, really. He was always at his best, I think, talking to... Well, I don't really like the phrase, but if you know what I mean, I say the ordinary person. And that's what the phone-in was all about, wasn't it? He wasn't talking to the journalists. He was actually talking face-to-face, voice-to-voice with his, his fans.
0: And you could actually hear, I think, I, I listened back to some of it, you could actually hear the nervousness in some of those fans who phoned up having the opportunity for the first time to speak to a football legend. I think it's fair to say many people
1: were... Beside themselves. They absolutely could not believe that this guy, he was a godlike figure. Absolutely. And people were trembling as if they were talking to that that icon at the time. Definitely.
0: And as the show went along, as you say, it was absolute gold dust. It, it was one great quote after another.
1: Well, it started that way, didn't it? You know, he had a mixture, didn't he? Sometimes he was old big head. But sometimes you're very, very modest. The first call, I think, went something like, uh, "Brian, it's an honour to speak to you," and the response was, "Get on with it," and uh, and that really set the tone for the for the rest of the hour. It was, you know, there was there was a lot a lot that you take from it. There's a lot of sense being spoken, uh, but also there's a lot of humour
0: in there as well. And some classic uh, comments. A couple of them made it onto uh, the quotes page of my website uh, one yeah. one was about the, the difficulties of communicating with foreign players um I don't know whether you remember that one
1: I can't, now I can't remember would that be the Italians or something like that I my I, my heart always well when we got on to Germany or Italians or foreigners that I'd always had some trepidation there because it wasn't always the most politically correct and of course being the BBC we had to sort of I tread a line there, so I'd always feel very, very nervous. But I know there were questions about David Platt and inevitably at the time because of the disastrous Italians that came. Uh, yes, I guess he got a few things to say about that.
0: What was the quote? He said, I can't, I can't even spell spaghetti. Never mind talk Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. there was another one yes. in later years where he said, uh, yes, I've heard of Ravanelli. You can get it at the co-op. <laughs> <laughs> Dear, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, do it with a twinkle. Yes, yeah, yeah, and uh, really, Gary Birtles, as you mentioned earlier, he hardly got a word in edgeways.
1: Well, that was it. Gary was a, the regular guest, but I think he probably spoke for thirty seconds of the of the whole hour. Uh, It was just Brian. Why not? I mean, people just wanted to speak to to Brian and he um, he was on great form and he he really enjoyed himself. And that's why he went on to, you know, go go to the commercial channel and do it on a more regular basis because he he reveled in it. And Um, yeah, overall,
0: I mean, you would look at that and think he was just as sharp as he was as a TV pundit, you know, way back in the 70s.
1: He was. you know. I, I'm thinking back and I listen back. You know, some of the questions would be like, um, "I as a master at dodging a question with a witty reply, I always thought, you know, who's the most influential player that you signed at Forest? I only sign good players. You know, a nice little funny uh, put down. And then uh, who was your favourite player at Forest? I didn't have one. They're all the same. Didn't like any of them, you know. <laughs> it was like uh, one, two, three, put down, and uh, yeah, he he was brilliant at that. And uh, yeah, who was your be- Yeah, who was your best player you signed? And then, of course, he didn't really get. He sort of threw names out. I think he's mentioned. Peter Shilton and Colin Todd at Derby, but then very quickly he said, "I'll tell you who the ugliest was, and that was Kenny Burns,
0: and you know he just played to the crowd and and got the laugh, and he was super super sharp." It was funny, and, and yeah, as you said, you you really wondered what he was going to say next, but oh. uh, yeah, it was it was great, and also I think you had trouble. Um, when he he dodged the question about what happened to Gary Bertles on the coach when they were going abroad, and uh, he, he threw him off the bus. Um, and he wasn't going to tell you, was he?
1: He wasn't going to tell me. Whether he couldn't remember the incident, because there must have been so many, I mean, quite a few players he threw off buses, weren't there? Uh, whether he couldn't quite remember, or whether he didn't want to embarrass Gary. But Gary ended up telling us the story about the bus. And I think it was a club trip to... Uh, was it the Middle East, somewhere? yes, Kuwait, or somewhere Brian, like that, yeah. yeah,, and Brian said, you know they didn't really want to go, but the club didn't have much money at the time, they needed the money, so they went on these sort of extravagant matches, and Gary Bertles was injured, I think they played on the Saturday, and this was a Sunday trip down to Heathrow to fly to Kuwait to play an exhibition match to come home and um Gary Bertles had got on the bus, and he was moaning about being injured. He wouldn't be playing anyway, so why is he flying halfway around the world not to play a football match? It was mad. And Clough had heard the sort of mutterings at the back. And I think Albert, the bus driver, was just taking them down Wilford Lane at the time. And so Clough went to see Gary Bertles and said, what, what's all this then, son? And he said, well, Gaffer, I'm, I'm, I'm injured. I've You know, I want to get fit for the next match. You're flying me all around the world on a cramped aeroplane. For seven hours, it's not going to help with my injury. I don't see the point, and and Brian Clough agreed. He said, "He said you've got a point." So he went up to Albert and said, "Stop the bus." So they stopped the bus. They got Gary Bertles' uh, suitcase out the back, went across the road, and Brian Clough flagged down a passing car, uh, asked him if he could take Gary Bertles back to the city ground where his own car was parked, and uh, that was Gary Bertles' trip to Kuwait. And then, of course, like uh i think they all went down to uh heathrow in the end and they got on the plane and the plane had, uh, had a go at take off but it was aborted and
0: Clough marched them all off the plane he Heathrow and they all came back that night. <laughs> he wasn't a very good flyer, Cluffy. So, yes, he, he wasn't going to chance that one after an aborted flight, I think. But, yeah, you, you can't really see it happening these days, can you? The manager stopping the bus and then flagging a, a motorist down to take the, the player back to the ground. But, I mean, he was, you know, Cloughy was, was a, a one-off. and And I know you have many memories of him appearing on television in the 70s and 80s
1: well I think that's when I first I mean I was I grew up like in the 60s early 70s and that's when he sort of first appeared on TV when punditry first started and he was he was outspoken he was incredibly quotable he was outrageous but I think when he first came on TV he probably was too far the other way and he was a bit marmite you know some people loved him and some people loathed him And I think it was only as he sort of mellowed a little bit and understood what worked on TV that he became this treasure that actually became gold, you know, that Michael Parkinson, who was like the doyen of interviewers, an amazing Saturday evening show that ran and ran and ran and had the greatest guests in the world on that, you know, from Muhammad Ali downwards, that Brian Clough went on that programme and I think even the BBC managed to get a, a clip of Muhammad Ali talking about Brian Clough rivaling him as the um, as a motor mouth and played that. So, so he was, you know, that's how big a star You think Muhammad Ali, probably the world's greatest ever sports person, the best known sports person in the world in history. Certainly. You know, making a comment for the BBC about Brian Clough was incredible. And then, uh, you know, primetime Saturday evenings was um, an impressionist show called Michael Yarwood. Mike Yarwood, wasn't it? That's him, yes. And he did, he did a Brian Clough impression, you know, and this was, like, they didn't do football manager impressions, but he was, you know, he's much impersonated now. and very easy to impersonate too. So he very quickly became treasured. And I think he, you know, in, in the mid-70s, he moved to ITV and was one of their star pundits and never really looked back from there. So, yeah, he was, he was not just a football manager, but he was, he was an essential part of Saturday evening television.
0: Well, we'll talk some more uh, in a few minutes, including the, the opportunity you had to interview him when you worked for Hospital Radio. But first, that competition... The prize is a signed copy of an Amazon Top 10 best selling book. It's one of mine, it's Brian Clough 50 Defining Fixtures, and I'll sign it personally for the winner. The question is, which former player accompanied Brian on the phone-in we've been chatting about? To enter, just go to the podcast page of brianclough.com. All the details are there. So that's brianclough.com slash podcast, where you'll also find the competition terms and conditions. That question again, which former player accompanied Brian on the phone-in that we've been chatting about? I'll look forward to hearing from you. This is the Green Jumper podcast and my guest is Mark Shardlow who not only hosted Cluffy's first radio phone-in but also got him out of a hole for a TV appearance. Um, Have you still got the tie that you lent him? (laughs) No but he took it.
1: Yeah it was a gift. He had it as a gift. It was actually um, on the same day it was the phone-in. So so basically TV wanted to interview him about doing his first ever phone-in and he was horrified because he turned up open ne- with a shirt without a tie he got a jacket and open neck shirt and he did, he wouldn't do a TV interview unless he got a tie on he thought it wasn't a very good impression so uh I took my tie off and uh, he, he wore my tie and he took quite he took a shine into this a very nice tie he said although I don't know if he said that in the, the phone him, but at the time he was very complimentary about the tie and as you can imagine you know when he got a little nugget in his mind he kept going on about the tie and you know it was just very tasteful and yeah, so in the end, he, he had the tie and he was very touched that we made him a gift of the, the tie to take home with him after the phone-in. Although I then th- I think in the phone-in, he was perhaps a bit more derogatory about my dress <laughs> sense. Build you up and knock
0: you down, yeah. Now, years before the phone-in, you managed to get an interview with Brian Clough when you were on hospital radio. Yeah, so um, myself and a
1: colleague set up the hospital radio broadcasting sports service back in nineteen eighty. Um, I was just a teenager at the time. The hospital radio service existed, but we we um, came up with the concept of football commentary. And these days, there's football commentary everywhere. But then, on a Saturday afternoon, when all football was played, you could only get 45 minutes of commentary on the second half of one match. But for hospital radio, which is just broadcast to people uh, listening in hospital, you could have commentary on any game. So we had Knotts County and Forest. So we had regular Forest commentaries, uh, full-match commentaries. And uh, I wrote to Brian Clough to see if we could do an interview for Hospital Radio. I was only 18 at the time. And I was shocked and surprised to get the reply to say, yes, I could. And it'd be coming up, you know, a week on Thursday at three o'clock. Well, you can imagine, you know, how I felt going down there. This is probably... My second ever interview, you know, I'd gone in for the big time. I think my first was Derek Randall. My second was Brian Clough, who actually were quite good friends. And um, I, I was terrified and I looked terrified. And I can remember him now ushering me into the office and pouring me a drink. And he didn't say I looked terrified. He said, you look cold, son. Have a drink. This will warm you up. And uh, two drinks later, of course, I, was, I wasn't used to drinking whiskey. I was pretty lucid, and away we went. And he gave me half an hour of his time. and I don't think I appreciated it at the time, but to get a half-hour interview with one of the biggest names in sport was a fantastic leg-up in my career. And he was incredibly generous to those who were struggling or those who were starting out, probably more so than the general mass um and i think there'll be many many stories of his generosity in giving time uh to to the underdogs many many times
0: in fact wasn't he uh or didn't he support a rally that you were involved in when when you were young oh
1: no i was at um i was at Nottingham Trent or Trent Polytechnic as it was called then and he was quite active uh you know politically he was active and uh, I think it was a South Africa, right? some sort of what things that students used to do then. But he showed up, you know, and he was regularly supporting whatever the cause was. And he'd come along and, and lend support. And I think the biggest thing at the time in Nottingham was there was a dispute um, at the Nottingham Evening Post, which was a massive newspaper at the time. And they sacked a lot of journalists amongst them, uh, the sports staff of John Lawson and Terry Bowles and Brian was super supportive of the sacked journalists, and they brought out a rival newspaper, and Brian forged a relationship with John Lawson and week by week gave a column to the the breakaway newspaper in Nottingham, and then throughout the rest of his life was always very close to John Lawson.
0: When you became sports editor um, at at Radio Nottingham, you had some dealings with Cluffy again, but a, a little bit hot and cold, I think.
1: Yeah, these were more difficult times, I think. This was uh, the late 1980s. And actually, Brian Clough, I, thought, I think his achievement as a manager had t- two phases at Forest, really. Obviously, the great European team. But he built an incredible team at the end of the 80s as well. You know, on not much money, uh, by himself. But th- there, were, there were difficult times, and he was becoming much more prickly with the press. And interviews were becoming rarer. He had his chosen few, and it was very difficult to get inside that that uh, cartel. Effectively, um, I worked with a colleague called Jeremy Nicholas, and Jeremy tells one story. We used to go down on a Thursday or Friday, whenever the press conference may or may not be. It was all a bit haphazard. There weren't press officers in those days. You'd go a lot. You'd phone Carol, the secretary, to see when it might happen. Um, but generally, you'd go down at nine o'clock on a Thursday, in case it was Thursday morning. And if it wasn't Thursday morning at nine o'clock you'd might have to hang around till after training at half eleven in case it was then, and if it wasn't Thursday, you'd have to go back on the Friday morning and do the same so so it was a sort of strange time, but I think it was when Steve Hodges signed for Forrest, I think Cluffy sold him surprisingly eighty four something like that to villa, I think, and then he bought him back might have been from Spurs I can't remember last yes, yes, no yeah. yeah yeah and um so Jeremy had gone down to get the interview about. You know, uh, Steve Hodge, you know, one of Clough's favourite players from that, that time coming back. But um, uh, something had been bothering Brian. He wasn't happy, and there were quite a few journalists. And Jeremy went up and asked him if he could give an interview. And Brian slammed the door shut uh, with Del Boy, his dog, uh, at his side. And so Jeremy found himself one side of the door, and Brian and the journalists were the other. But what Brian Clough had done is he'd locked him inside the management suite. So there was a corridor. Which led to Brian's office, and I think there were, the pennants on the on on the walls from all the foreign travel, and a photo of Frank Sinatra. Uh, and Jeremy was on the the inside, and Clough was on the outside. And anyway, they finally uh, sorted it out, and Clough said, hey, "Go away, just you know, go go
0: go away," or, so wor- or words to, words I'm, to that, oh, that yeah, effect.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the sequel to this story is uh, Forrest reached. The League Cup final that year, and uh, Jeremy again was the reporter, and Brian didn't really he gave very what they call flash interviews at the end of the match where they perhaps talked for a minute, rather than anything considered. He'd given a couple of those, and so Jeremy, you know, not expecting anything, went and stood outside the changing room. And Clough came out, and brought him in, sat down with him for ten minutes, gave an interview, and said, "That's for earlier in the season, son." And uh, he remembered and he gave it back. He'd taken it and he gave it back.
0: And I think there's another tale of Cluffy's classic unpredictability when uh, Jeremy ended up with an unexpected long list of interviewees. Oh, yeah, that
1: was uh, Watford on a Sunday, I think it was, in the, um, it was the FA Cup. And I think it was the fifth round. Forrest getting through to the quarterfinals, I think they beat Watford 3-0 at Vicarage Road that day. And I, the, Jeremy and myself were acting as a pair on the radio and I carried the programme while Jeremy went down to get the interviews and we we always knew like it was probably not going to get get any interviews and Jeremy went down with his tape recorder and then came back and then we'd feed them back. And so I said, Who's, who have you got today, Jeremy? And he said, well, I've got Steve Sutton. I said, oh, yeah. He said, no, there's more. Brian Laws, yeah. Stuart Pierce, Steve Chettle... Des Walker, Steve Hodge, Lee Glover, Tommy Gaynor, whoever else was. Clough had taken Jeremy into the change room and marched him round and made every player give an interview with Jeremy, including the substitute and the non playing reserves. He came up with 15 interviews. Um, And I think I go back to what I said at the start of, of our conversation really. He was unpredictable and contrarian and that was a day that just showed all of that and of course behaving like that we were just made up we you know it was it was a there were there were really fascinating and good times and you know he was a, a great manager.
0: Mark Shardlow thanks for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you Marcus. And thank you for listening. And don't forget the competition to win the signed Brian Clough book. And talking of books, our friends at JMD Media have given me an exclusive discount code you can use to get 20% off football books and their other publications like Local History. Just type in JMD Media in your search engine and then use the code YOUNGMAN20 at the checkout. That's YOUNGMAN20 to save a bit of money there and you can buy discounted Brian Clough books which I'll personally sign for you at brianclough.com Thanks again and I'll speak with you soon when we'll share more memories of the great man in the green jumper